0: Hello, Your Stories family. Chris Crotwell here, bring you the second half of Fan Fiction February. It was a ton of fun. It's got stories from yours truly, Drew Creel, Logan Dean, and Maggie Wagner. Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity, and they asked us not to read an ad. Enjoy the show, everybody. Hope to see you soon. Once again, the best band in podcasting cover stories, and then we will roll. Come on
1: up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> are there any other bands in podcasting? Probably. Well, the
2: Mountain Goats started once. The so Mountain Goats, hard. we are We're better, better games,
1: than them. Yeah. That's true. Because um, we sing all original songs that everybody loves. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Our performances speak to the everyman experience. <laughs> in a way that John Darnell only dreams of.
3: Yes. Sucker. <laughs> so.
2: So this is, uh, yes. so now we're on to like level three. Yes. So we're starting to get a little <laughs> challenging here. Um, this is by a guy who likes all the same music that I like. And sometimes I just want to give him a hug because I feel like he's very sad inside. Um, <laughs> by uh, a man called The Killers. This is when you <laughs> were young.
4: Some beautiful boy too to, to save you from your ways. You play forgiveness. Watch him now. Here he comes. He doesn't look a thing like Jesus, buddy. Talks like a gentleman, like you imagined when you were young. Can we climb this mountain? I don't know. I know we make it if we take it slow. Let's take it easy, easy now. Watch it go. We're burning down the highway skyline on the back of a hurricane that started turning way you. You don't have to drink right now, but you can dip your feet every once in a little while.
3: free from like a Starbucks (laughs) promo. So it's
2: gonna be great. We're on like level four. Yes. Yeah.
0: Money, right? You tried to trade your face for a sandwich. It's hard. Actually, that sounds rife with weird implications. I had not thought about it.
3: That whole album is yeah. Confirmed. Gosh, guys,
0: 2019, man. Um, so I started thinking about why it was that fan fiction had never actually been terribly appealing to me. What had kept me from getting drawn in? Ostensibly, it seems like the sort of thing I'd be invested in being involved with or creating. So I thought about it for a little bit, uh, and it turns out it's just wildly unnecessary because I am the default. (laughs) 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 When you're the default, uh, you don't need any one piece of culture or a world to be completely invested in, because every world and every piece of culture was written for me by people who look like me, the 5'10", 165 pound, white middle class dude. I am the skin that every video game creation, character creation, starts with, (laughs) right? This is the out-of-the-box model. <laughs> I started thinking about the, the books and the movies and the pieces of culture that meant the most to me and uh, got really depressed in the last couple days, actually, because they're all just the same story. Like, if you look at Neverwhere, or The Magicians, or The Phantom Tollbooth, or Harry Potter, or Star Wars, they're all the same story. And that story is for me. Like, bored, sad white dude, (laughs) right? Gets introduced to an incredible world and then saves the universe or something incredibly similar. All of those things I mentioned, they're all, that's all the same story, you know? Like, I can be Arthur Dent. He's just some mopey average white dude. I'm a mopey average white dude. (laughs) Solidly a mopey, average white dude, you know? Like, Quentin, have you read The Magicians? He's just, he's awful, but I'm sort of awful sometimes, too! <laughs> that story's about me, and the, the stories I read when I was little, like The Thief of Always by Clive Barker, or, or like the aforementioned Phantom Tollbooth, it's like, bored, shitty, white male kid uh, gets given an opportunity to realize that the world is something that only his agency, his agency is capable of setting right. And there's tons of it. Like, I don't have to go looking. I never had to go looking. When you get bored with One World, you just bounce. Pop culture for the last forever has been (laughs) fan fiction Written about me. <laughs> I don't need to write fan fiction. Every person who's been given the privilege and the ability to create a piece of media that is mass produced and distributed is someone who, probably culturally and societally, is in a very similar place to me anyway. And they're writing stories about them. Which means every story that they write is about me. (laughs) Right? I'm the Time Lord. I'm the Doctor. I always was, until now. Which is better! (laughs) Right? Like, things are better than they've ever been. You know? Like, there are places to discover yourself if you're not a, like, standard default human. Which, unfortunately, still means me guys. It does. I am still the default. You know? Steven Universe is awesome. She arrives awesome. But, like, turn on your television. Walk into a bookstore. Look at comic books. It's still mostly me. (laughs) Up there. You know? Like, yeah. Every story I ever got told was an analog for the rest of my life. Which is being told that, like, The world is flawed, but you are remarkable, white man. (laughs) You'll fix these problems, we promise, as long as they're your problems. It's a bummer, right? One of the things I love about this night, and the show, your stories, across the board, is that We need people's actual stories, and we need them to be diverse, and we need them to be bigger and broader than stories about the default character. I think the first half of the show was absolutely beautiful for that reason explicitly. I am always going to be able to dive into any book or movie. And because I'm the planeswalker... (laughs) I will always feel at home, you know? There's no reason for me to feel threatened by other people being represented in media. Like, don't be- what are you mad about Ghostbusters for, you dickhead? (laughs) Just go jump into one of the countless other worlds that are explicitly about your experience, and it's still most of them. It's not hard. Just go find something else. You know? Like, Neverwhere is my favorite book. At least it's way, way up there. And it's not even about an especially interesting man. Just some mopey dude who's unhappy about the world and then has this incredible experience opened up to him. It's every story. And we have to keep pushing to change that there's no reason you should have to wait 13 years you know there's no reason that you should have to struggle to find things that represent you and your experience I can't imagine literally can't imagine I am incapable of understanding what it would be like to encounter a piece of media and see myself for the first time and how powerful that must be. I honestly don't know. I can't put myself inside of that experience. It's a unique experience to people who aren't the default. Every story has been about me for most of my life. Everyone deserves to get to feel that way. And I hope we can get there sooner than later. All right. next storyteller is a friend, a friend of the show, a very good friend of the band, (laughs) and a lovely man in general. Please, everybody give it up to Mr. Logan Dean! Yeah! What was that about? I know! Sorry I had to lead up for two other white guys. No, it's fine. (laughs) Joseph
5: Campbell's, like, whipping around in his grave right now. (laughs) This is my fourth... Fan fiction, February I believe uh, previously I've told stories about Orson Welles solving supernatural crimes and the cursed existence of the Trivago guy so I figured I'd lighten it up um, this is a recipe I found on the internet um, but like every recipe on the internet it's got a bunch of personal details of whoever wrote it. Um, it's called Easy Vegan Chili <laughs> And vegan is all caps. (laughs) Nothing warms up a cold winter night like a fresh batch of hot and spicy chili. I used to make this recipe for my husband Brian all the time when we were living in northern Maine. It was his favorite, and now when I make it, I think back on those nights in the woods, walking to the sheltered grove with a container of this chili to warm us up. Brian loved the woods and what he called the deep and unceasing call of nature's true protectors. (laughs) We would hike up to the grove once a month, always during the new moon, to meet with others who shared his passion. Ingredients. One medium onion. (laughs) Two medium bell peppers. One zucchini. Two carrots. Four cloves of garlic. two Two teaspoons of olive oil. Four tablespoons chili powder. One and a half teaspoons cumin. One teaspoon oregano. One teaspoon smoked paprika. Half a teaspoon of salt. One cup of beer, three tablespoons tomato paste, 28 ounces can of diced tomatoes, one cup vegetable broth or water, uh, one 15-ounce can of each pinto, kidney, and black beans, uh, one and a half cups canned corn kernels, juice of half a lemon or one whole lime, and two teaspoons of maple syrup. That last part's a secret. You don't have to tell anybody it's in there. To start, (laughs) chop up the onion, peppers, zucchini, and carrots. Chopping vegetable reminds me of the wood we would chop for the fire at our gatherings. (laughs) Speaking of which, get a large pot and heat two tablespoons of oil in it. Add the onions and let them cook until they turn a little brown. We would build a large cage out of wood in the grove and surround it with freshly downed trees we cut into large logs in order to ensure a roaring fire that would last long into the night. After browning the onions, add the carrots, (laughs) peppers, and zucchini, and cook for another five minutes. Once the fire was built, we would begin the rites. Brian had taught them to me over the course of our relationship as they were written in a language that I don't believe was meant to be spoken by human mouths. Next, add the garlic, chili powder, cumin, oregano, paprika, and salt, and cook for another minute. Your kitchen should start to smell fragrant and spicy. When we finish the rites, there would always come a smell of ozone, like that of a bolt of lightning or a spark from a plug. Add the beer, broth, tomato paste, and diced tomatoes. Scrape up any seasoning that stuck to the bottom of the pot. Simmer for about five minutes. The ozone smell let us know that the rites had succeeded. Next, we would draw sticks, one of which was cut short. It's time to add the beans and corn. Um, (laughs) Stir them in and then turn your heat down to low and cover the pot. Simmer for about 30 minutes. Whomever drew the short stick would then be disrobed and anointed with oils of sage and juniper. Large, swirling symbols were painted on their back and forehead that resembled lidless eyes staring at us from the void. After 30 minutes, stir the chili around and give it a taste. Uh, For thicker chili, leave the top off and let it simmer for 10 minutes more. Once the body was prepared, they would be entered into the wooden cage, free of the burden of worry, knowing that they would soon be with the forest and its protectors. Now add (laughs) the lemon or lime juice and optionally the maple syrup to even out the taste. We would then light the fire, reciting incantations of tribute. As it grew, we would shed our own clothes and dance about the flames as they engulfed our offering. Around us, we would see the hungry shapes of our pagan gods as they supped on the spirit of the sacrifice first before entering the fire and devouring the flesh from the cage. We continued to dance until the fire died and the sun began to peek over the trees. Feel free to garnish with a bit of a cilantro, red onion, <laughs> avocado, or even some jalapeno if you like a spicy kick. That's how Brian liked it. Uh, before... Brian drew the short stick
0: thanks <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just wanted some suggestions for whitefish in Papiote a couple months ago and I cried for like half an hour <laughs> it's <laughs> recipe websites have gotten rough <laughs> all right our next storyteller is also a uh, a close friend who's spoken before um Fantastic gentleman, excited to see what he has prepared, Mr. Drew Creel! Yeah! Yeah. All
6: right, a little forward. I don't really consider this to be fan fiction as much as just an adaptation of one source material into the setting of another uh, series. So uh, I say this mostly just so that people don't think I deserve some large credit for what you're about to hear. Um, Anyways, on with the story. Here, at the age of 39, I began to be old. As I lay in that dark hour, I was aghast to realize that something within me, long sickening, had quietly died. I felt, as a husband might feel, who in the fourth year of his marriage suddenly knew he had no longer any desire or tenderness or esteem for a once once beloved wife. We'd been through it together the Earth Federation forces and I. For the first importunate courtship until now, where nothing remained of us but the chill bond of law, and duty, and custom. We were leaving that day, and on this morning of our move, I was entirely indifferent to to our destination. I would go about my job that I could bring with it nothing more than acquiescence. When we had shuttled into that space station in the winter of 2124, or the year 79 of the Universal Century, as it was more commonly referred to in space, (laughs) I brought with me a company of strong, helpful men, hopeful men. Word had gotten out around them that we were at last in transit for Xeon territory. As the weeks passed and we watched the seasons change back down on Earth, I saw their disappointment grow to resignation, and I drew by as their prefecture. To put heart into them. How could I help them who could so little help myself? Aha! said the commanding officer as his eyes drew wide with the ineffable excitement that comes with using one's authority to needlessly scrutinize others.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just look at that!
6: he said and pointed his cane at an unseemly corner of the station hangar, smirking his portly face and thin black mustache at me as I came forward to see what new error the CO had dredged up in my honor. Shipping waste had, been bu- had built up around some of the intake vents of the hangar. Not surprising, considering B Company had just used it to resupply their mobile suits before shipping off ahead of us. The CO's cane prodded a few bits of refuse loose from the vent's mild suction. A fine impression that gives to the regiment taking over from us. Don't you know what sets the standard of an EFF regiment? The way it leaves camp, Ryder. <laughs> yes, that's bad, sir. I said, standing in attention in front of my company, as they too stood in attention, waiting, before the uh, waiting inspection before the launch. It's a disgrace. See that everything here is properly disposed of in the incinerator before we leave. Very good, sir. Remind me, Ryder said the C.O. inspecting me with his beady eyes as he had done so recently the tr- space trash. Where? What were you in civilian life? I was a painter, sir. The C.O.'s face contorted through several hoops of restrained judgment before leaving me to my newfound duties. That evening we departed from, from the space station, our transport ship escorted by a halo of standard RG, uh, RGM-79 mobile suits, hulking robotic suits of armor that stood over six four- stories tall, the latest addition to a war that seemed to escalate indefinitely. <coughs> like a cloud of dust, we floated through the immense darkness towards our next destination, Sleep came for me swiftly as I activated my stasis pod for the no-doubt long journey ahead. The next day, I awoke from my pod to the familiar commotion and cross-chatter of a rival flight check. We had already reached our new base of operations, and as I donned my spacesuit dock for the inevitable docking procedures, I finally let my curiosity get the best of me when a junior officer walked by. "'Does anybody know where we are?' I said." Uh, Not officially, sir. Somewhere orbiting Neo-Oxford Colony. Uh, But I did hear someone mention the name of the space station. It's a place called Brideshead. Uh, You can see it from the airlock window over there. It's a great, whole, huge, berk of place. Thank you, Sergeant. uh, Carry on. It was as though someone had switched off the wireless, and a voice that had been bawling in my ears incessantly and fatuously for days without number had suddenly been cut short. An immense silence followed, empty at first, but gradually filled with a multitude of sweet and natural and long-forgotten sounds. For he had spoken a name that was so familiar to me, a conjurer's name, of such ancient power that it's, near, that its mere sound that, its, that at its mere sound, the fountains of those haunted late years began to take flight. As I approached the window, my palms grew sweaty, and my heart began to pound with anticipation. Looking out at this distance, I saw a familiar, pearlescent lily resting in a dark pool of nothing. And though I could tell its petals were now wilted, wilted and its pollinist population vacated, the inescapable charm of history brought a forbidden smile to my face. Brideshead was as large a space station could be before being classified as a colony. As a classical O'Neill cylinder, it even supported its own artificial landscaping and weather. Once owned by the exceedingly affluent and charming flight family, the station was now being commandeered for the war efforts. A small fleet of mobile suits could be seen making their way back to our transport ship after departing from one of the station's enormous chrome petals. When the soldiers returned through the airlock, I flagged a familiar face to learn of his impressions and to distill my beating heart. Where are you after, to, Hooper? I said to the cadet. Uh, B Company's just relieved us, sir. I, I sent the chaps along ahead to get cleaned up. Uh, good, good, I said, trying to best not to show any excitement. Uh, just uh, snooped around the station. Very ornate, I call it. There's a massive castle of a mansion that takes up nearly half a pedal on its own. A, a queer thing. Sort of R.C. church towards the back, all gothic and like. And a frightful great fountain, too, all rocks and carved men and trumpets. You never saw such a thing? Yes, Hooper. I did. I've been here before. Uh, oh, well, you'll know all about it, then. I had been there before. I knew all about it. First, with Sebastian, more than 20 years ago, in a star-filled day in June. That day, too, I had not known my destination. That's probably all we want to do for tonight. Uh, Thank you for listening to Brideshead Unlimited.
0: Absolutely lovely. I love a nice mashup. Um, So, our last storyteller of the evening is someone who I first remember meeting uh, at a Your Stories at the Public House Theater, I'm pretty sure. Which makes it feel like it's an ancient time buried in ice. Um, uh, she's been telling stories at Your Stories for quite some time, and I'm always very, very excited, because that first experience really put me right on my ass. Uh, Please, everyone, welcome the incomparable and fantastic Maggie Wagner!
1: Uh, (laughs) That was too nice. Oh, my God. I'm going to go quick, because this one runs a little long. Um, This is my first attempt at any fan fiction ever. It's called the Alistair Q. Flotwickens Public School for Witchcraft and Wizardry. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. My name is Bonnie Clifford. I am 41. I am from Cloggers Ridge, Mississippi. Any fans of high school football out there? Go fighting Cloggers. They are 0 for 12. Not a good season. (laughs) But that's not why I'm here. I'm here to tell you that there is a secret world of magic and subterfuge that is happening all around us right now. (laughs) Magic is real, and there are witches and wizards, that's what they call themselves, among us. I'm just gonna skip you past some of the more complex stuff, it'll be over your heads, but long story short, they carry wands, they wear robes, they travel by touching enchanted knickknacks, and they cast actual spells. Y'all seem bewitched. (laughs) That shit is real. Of course, I can't prove any of this. I, I work uh, right at that spot where St. Crispin's Drive turns into a big empty lot. And it looks like a lot, but brother, that ain't a lot. There's a school there, the Alistair Keep Lot Wickens Public School for Witchcraft and Wizardry. You can't see it. Hell, I work there, and I can't see it. According to them, we are muggles. It, it's a name they use for anybody who can't do magic. They got a lot of weird names for a lot of things, so, you know, keep up.
3: See, I I substitute
1: teach, and I get calls from all over the district. Bonnie, we need you for civics, for econ, for gym sometimes. And I got a call for a muggle studies teaching stint, and uh, I don't know what muggle studies are, but I have to pay my union dues somehow, so I drive up to this big empty lot. Only it's not an empty lot anymore. It's a big crumbly, gothic, cathedral-looking thing. And out front, there's Principal Wanda Prentice. Wanda can't be more than three foot five, and that's counting a big pink bouffant hairdo. (laughs) Thank you for coming, she tells me. It's truly an emergency, she tells me. Then this roly-poly little woman takes out a fucking magic wand, gives it a little (laughs) (laughs) ba-duh. And then, one, two, three, the whole building is covered with like an invisible drape, and it starts to fall all over the place. Oh, man. But yeah, Wanda sits me down and tells me all about the secret world of high-stakes magic and offers me a job up front, decent salary to boot. Well, I ain't stupid. Something don't smell right here. So I start asking some questions. Number one, wizards, bless your heart. Number two, (laughs) say I believe everything you tell me is true. I don't. I'm clearly being punked. (laughs) Say, <laughs> I believe it. What's preventing me from walking out the door and telling the whole world? Number three, what in the wild world of sports or muggle studies? Number four, what the hell do they even want a muggle to do this job in the first place? Don't you have wizards with degrees or some shit? <laughs> <laughs> she came clean with me. I guess even wizards have standards and Flotwink school is well below them. The magical community has rated them the worst academy in North America with the lowest pay scale and the most abysmal test scores. Our students don't even qualify for the OWLs, she said. (laughs) We offer the SHREW exam, stands for Statewide Hunting Registry and Evaluation of Wizardry. (laughs) SHREW. She said to think of the muggle studies like, like home economics, the basics of mundane human life. These kids can summon lightning rods, grim specters, they can heal bones, and the flick of their hands. But they couldn't boil an egg if he asked them to. Then, ugh. Then she spokes me by saying, don't worry, this is all perfectly safe for you in a way that makes you think maybe it's not. (laughs) And she told me that by all means, I should feel free to tell the whole world that I work for witches at a secret school for little children learn magic. (laughs) So, yeah. Wanda's funny. And a paycheck's a paycheck, so I show up the next day and said, show me to my room because Bonnie Clippers a professional. They lead me down a dark little hall lined with enchanted pictures of former teachers. Everybody in those photos is moving and having a good time. (laughs) Never mind, Bonnie. Eyes on the prize. Wanda opens the door to 15 little terrors chattering away eating handfuls of little brown frogs. One girl is trying to get her sweater out of the mouth of a furry book with teeth. Wanda thudded the ground and they got real quiet. She gave me the floor and whispered to me that I shouldn't worry. The children were aware I was a muggle and would be on their best behavior and with that she was gone. Well, fuck Wanda. It's a well-known fact that teenagers, rich, poor, black, white, magical, or regular, are goddamn psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> now they know my weakness. It's okay. I can salvage this. I see the kids are already divided in two. The ones in purple, with purple in their uniforms, are all sitting to one side. And the ones with the orange are a little louder, high-fiving each other, muttering, Yeah, fell. <laughs> I can use this. <laughs> so I emptied out the trash basket and hold it in front of me. I am Miss Clipper. Everyone of you will take out your wands and put them in the basket. You will get them back end of class. I wave the basket under a girl who sits in the front and snaps her gum. Uh, me? What's your name, sweetheart? Uh, Emma Jean Green. Are you a cloven frail failed, Emma Jean? Uh, well put your wand in the basket, hun. I don't want to have to report any trouble for the Clovenfelts today. In fact, let's! And I find the nearest chalkboard and underline the word Clovenfeld. Then I point to one of the boys in orange. What's your name, sweetie? Uh, uh, it's Hank. Please don't talk any points. Points from who, Hank? Uh, Esposito House. Thank you, Hank. Now, since I've had a little longer to observe from what I gather students put on an enchanted Dale Earnhardt fitted ball cap, it talks to you and tells you you've been sorted into one of two houses. Most magic schools have more, but kids is is, is scrappy. Well, there's the Georgina and Clovenfield house for outgoing wizards, I guess. Uh, They mostly do sports. And then there's the Ricky Esposita house for magical introverts, I think. Their wands all go, go clanging in the trash. And I keep day one pretty simple. Muggle currency. I bust out a dollar bill and ask if anyone has ever seen one before. Hank, from before, says he recognizes it from spending every other weekend with his dad. I like Hank. Nice, compliant kid. I caught one little shit in purple kicking his desk and calling him mudblood. And I didn't know what that meant in the moment, but now that I know it's a goddamn racial slur. <laughs> so I'm glad I did what I did. I scratched a negative 20 under the Clovenfell column on the board, and they got real upset. But then you know what? The bell rang, so. I tell you what. Yesterday wizards were make-believe. Today they're real, but they ain't shit. <laughs> Not to public school teacher.
3: <laughs>
1: I'm having a glass of wine tonight.
3: Yeah! Uh, that was
0: fantastic. I gotta say, I, I often uh, rankle at the sound of the accent of my people. <laughs> But if uh, if the South had wizard schools, they would be underfunded. <laughs> t- 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 property taxes are a bad way to do this, guys. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Not great. Um, so we really we're
1: wrapping up here. We really want to thank you guys all for coming out. We know it is disgusting in the true Chicago fashion outside, and you still came out, and we really really appreciate you for that. Um, thank you to our storytellers in particular. Another round of applause for everyone that told the story. <laughs>
3: night across the board. You guys really helped us to kick off our first
1: show well, and we are thankful for that.
3: Um, please find us on Facebook. Like us there. Follow us on Twitter. This is the traditional shill, and now I'm doing it. Deal with it. Uh, we are your stories all over the place. You can find us there. We'll be posting the podcast again over the course of the month, so feel free to share that. Get people to listen. Y'all had fun, right? We yeah. want other people to have fun, too. It's just the nice thing to do.
0: So we have a series I'm really excited about coming up uh, in honor of Studs Turkle's approaching birthday. An amazing Chicago historian, an incredible human being, look him up, Uh, he wrote an amazing book called Working. So for the next three months uh, I'm putting on a series of your stories about work work and what it means for us right now. Uh, It's something that we don't often talk about on a stage like this but it's the thing we spend most of our time doing and those are the lucky ones that's sort of terrible a lot (laughs) of the time so the first one is going to be about the service industry and then another show about work and then we're going to bring in uh, people involved with the labor movement to do a show up here, and I'm really excited about it. So keep your eyes peeled. I'll be posting details about that I just really realized how soon. fucking dumb it is that we started with fan fiction and now we're doing labor unions. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. I'm passionate about workers' rights. We are complex. Um, the show will be influenced. It'll oh, also man. be
1: fun. It will also be interesting
3: and fun
0: type, so please come out for that. Keep <laughs> yeah. an eye out for that. Um, <laughs> Jesus. So, to end the show, as always, like we've said two times before, already tonight, the best goddamned band in podcasting <laughs> cover stories.
2: If I die tonight, please put that on my tombstone. I mean, I will, but that's... I feel like
3: there's
2: other better epitaphs. Uh, no, I like that one the okay. best. So now Um, we're at, like... My epitaph will say acceptable
3: loss.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now we're on level five, y'all. This is, like, this is the stuff that all the, the kids bought Rock Band for, and they had to work their way up to playing stuff like this. I also think this band spends most of their career writing indecipherable fan fiction. Uh, I've tried to read the graphic novels and they don't make a lick yeah. of sense to me. Um, Patrick Ewing is involved somehow. I don't know. Anyway, this is by Co- that's what the song 33 is about. So this is by Coheed and Cambria, and this is uh, Welcome Home. podcast has been produced in association with the nerdalogs to find out more about the nerdalogs and their shows visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com nerdalogs Thanks for listening